0: If we were to be totally honest, we would all probably admit that at times we worry. Some people worry over big things and some worry over small things, but most likely we all worry. I read something that described worry like this it says, worry is an anxious or fearful state of mind. Worry causes increased muscle tension. Upset stomach, anxiety, and depression, which leads to more serious health problems. Chronic worriers often suffer low self-esteem. The Greek word means to be inwardly divided or distracted. Worry is a divided mind vacillating between doubt and faith. The English word comes from the Anglo-Saxon word meaning to choke or to strangle. Have you ever let worry stress you out to the point that you felt like you were choking or strangling? I know that I have. Today we're going to look at what Jesus said and to get his perspective on worry. And to see what he says is the way to overcome worry. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. It's page 737 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will have tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. The title of the message today is Winning Against Worry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we often live in a state of worry and anxiety over so many things. Lord, it seems that everything in the world around us tries to make us afraid and tries to make us worry. And Lord, we would be honest, we would admit that at times it works. Father, Jesus has told us not to worry and not to let that control our lives and not to let that dominate us. And Lord, we don't want... To be a people who are fearful and fretful. We don't want to be driven by fear and worry about all the things that could be and might be and could possibly happen in the future. So Lord, today we need you. We need you to send your Holy Spirit that he would come and take your word and apply it to our lives. That today your word would be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It would pierce our hearts and it would bring the conviction we need, it would need, bring the encouragement we need, it would bring the strength that we need, it would bring the help that we need. Guide us today to embrace your word as true. Let us surrender to Jesus as Lord. Let that all that we say and all that we do testify to a lost and a dying world that we are your people committed to doing your will. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Let our response today and tomorrow and the rest of the week enable us to be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Shall we be seated? The Sermon on the Mount is given by Jesus to his disciples. And that to me is an important. Part of the story. The primary audience for the Sermon on the Mount are those who have already committed their lives to Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live for Jesus if we have believed in Jesus. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount is for those who believe in Jesus in this life and choose to be devoted to Him. So what we're talking about today, this isn't a far off pie in the sky, let's hope that we could maybe accomplish this. This is Jesus saying, this is how you are to live. If you believe in me and you've chosen to live for me, this is the way of life you're supposed to live. And in this particular passage, even a cursory examination declares to us that we are not to worry, But do not worry is not as easy as it sounds, is it? It's, it's, it's not as easy to just not worry as being told not to worry. But Jesus doesn't just say to us, do not worry. He gives us reasons why we don't have to worry. He tells us that we are not to let worry consume us. And the primary reason for this is always about God. God close the field and he takes care of the birds and he'll take care of you. Don't worry about the things of this world because that's what unbelievers do. But you know God, therefore, don't worry. And so the the central truth that we have to understand is that faith overcomes worry. See, that's what Jesus wants us to understand in this passage. He wants us to know that that in this life there will be difficulties and there will be things that stress us out and there will be temptations to worry. But our God is bigger than that. Our God will take care of us. Our God will see us through. And if we believe that, if we trust in that, then our faith in God overcomes our worry about the world. And Jesus gives us three ways That worry overcome, that faith over, worry overcomes faith. This is a depressing sermon. That faith overcomes worry. Number one is that faith recognizes the, the worthlessness of worry. Faith recognizes the worthlessness of worry. Verse 25 starts off with therefore. Now the therefore is important because it ties back to what we see in verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We have a choice to make about who we'll trust and what we'll live for. we'll talk about verse 24 a little bit more in a minute. But Jesus tells us in verse 25 that the choice we make based off of the, 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 the choices laid out before us in verse 24, it will have a radical impact on the way that we live our lives. If we choose to live for Jesus, if we choose to serve God instead of mammon, then we should not be consumed by worry. Now, Jesus says, do not worry in this passage. And it, I've heard a lot of people through the years try to, try to, I guess, empty this passage of its power by being absurd with what Jesus meant. Right? Because, like, in the King James, it says, take no thought. So, like, you're saying, That if I don't, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to get a job. I can just sit at home and watch Netflix and God's just gonna send me everything I need and everything that I want. Well no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Right? Jesus is not saying, don't use common sense. Right? We we can't take this and exaggerate it beyond what Jesus meant. What he's saying is that those who, who believe in him and those who live for him, They should not be consumed by worry. They shouldn't live lives where they feel choked or strangled about all the worries of what could be in the days to come. Those who believe in Jesus and live for Jesus should not be worried about all the unknown possibilities of life. Faith overcomes worry because it realizes the worthlessness of worry. And Jesus shows us the worthlessness of worry in two ways in a few verses. First is that worry focuses on the wrong kind of wealth. Verse 25, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, that your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? When we're worried, we focused on the wrong treasure. We we focus on the wrong kind of wealth. Again, Jesus isn't saying some sort of absurd statement that we don't need money and that we don't have to have it to survive and to to do things in the world. Instead, what he's saying is it should not consume our lives. But if I choose to trust God instead of mammon, then I'll focus on the right kind of wealth. Eternal wealth. But if I choose to trust in mammon instead of God, then what will happen is that will make me worry a lot. Because there's there's always something that threatens that. There's always something that can upend my apple cart. And so I'm going to be focused on making sure I have enough. Making sure I have what I want, what I feel I need, and all of that. And what Jesus is saying is, focus on the right kind of wealth. Don't let your mind be distracted by focusing on only what you can accumulate in this life. And this idea of focusing on the right wealth, this is something Jesus talks about often. In in the Gospel of Luke, it says that a man in the crowd came to him and they said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, it was a common occurrence in this day, for a religious leader to be the arbitrator over a family dispute. Right? This guy, apparently the dad died. His brother, the older brother most likely, was keeping all of the inheritance and not giving him his fair share. Now this was something that was not an acceptable practice. It was not right to do. And so a common way to resolve something like this would be go to a religious leader and say choose and tell him to do what is right. Jesus says that's not what he came to do. And notice what he says in the last part. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And it's interesting, because with this, Jesus really doesn't tell the guy that he doesn't deserve his fair share. And he doesn't tell his guy that it's wrong to have this stuff. What he says is, be sure that you're focused on the right thing, that there's more to life than stuff. There's more to life than the money and the stuff that you can accumulate. And then he tells a story to illustrate this point. So the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. The guy had a bumper crop. Very successful, apparently. By all, all accounts looking at this, it seems like everything is going exactly the way the guy wants it to go. The way the world would say he is successful. But look at what Jesus goes on to say to him. But God said to him, fool. This not your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who does not lay up for himself lay up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, again, Jesus isn't saying that money's bad or that being successful is a problem. The problem is the focus, the wealth, where the guy his mindset was. Because look at Look at who the guy's focused on. He thought within himself. Did he say, I wonder what God has given me this great increase. I wonder what God would have me to do with the extra that I have. No. So what shall I do? Because I have no room to store my crops. I will do this. He had a a massive eye problem. The guy was so focused on his success. And he was so focused on his wealth and his stuff. And what he had accumulated that he began to take his focus off of God and was completely self-absorbed, was completely focused on himself. He, at this point, was focusing on the wrong kind of wealth. And because of this, God says, that man is a fool. Now, I didn't say that. God said the man was a fool because he had so focused on himself instead of focusing on God. But then Jesus really drives the point home. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We, If we focus on the wrong kind of wealth, if we focus on material wealth rather than spiritual wealth, than the stuff that that is eternal and significant, Jesus said that we are fools just like the man in that story. Our, Our focus, what we focus on as important As our treasure. It says a lot about whether we have faith in God in the right way. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 19. Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Where are we laying up treasure? What are we focusing on as our wealth, as our treasure in this life? And it is so easy for us to focus on the wealth and on the stuff. And that's common, natural way that natural man does. But as believers in Jesus Christ, faith. Faith causes us to look beyond the here and the now. Faith causes us to look beyond what is temporary to see what is eternal. It causes us to to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. It causes us to live differently, to focus differently. And, And what our treasure is, is going to be seen in the way that we live, in our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, and our values. See, part of the futility... Of worry. Is that it causes us to focus on the temporary over the eternal. It causes us to actually neglect the eternal in favor of the temporary. But if you're a worrier, you know that this is true. If you're a worrier, you know that when worry consumes your life, you're focused on all of these earthly things, and you're not really focused on God and eternal things at all. You're you're so focused on making sure that you have enough for you that you don't worry about laying up treasures in heaven by being generous. You don't worry about doing the things that God wants you to do because I've got to take care of this and I've got to fix this and I've got to handle this. Faith overcomes worry because it reminds us to focus on eternal wealth rather than worldly wealth. But then a final thing is that worry really doesn't accomplish anything. Jesus said which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. Now, every day every day we face new challenges, concerns and problems and choices. Every day the news tells us something bad that's going on. Every day the political candidates espouse something that could cause us to be afraid. Every day something happens. What are we going to do when these things come? Will we worry? Will we trust God? Will we pray? And if we worry, what does our worrying actually accomplish? What does our worrying actually do to change the situation? Something I I read said that worry may damage our health, that it causes the object of our worry to consume our thoughts, it disrupts our productivity, and it negatively affects the way we treat others. And it reduces our ability to trust God. But it will not actually accomplish anything productive. Now, if you're a worrier, let me ask you, just just absolute brutal honesty. Has your nights of laying away worrying ever helped anything? But did did your worries ever change your world? Did it ever make the situation better? Probably not. Now let me ask a different way. Have your worries made it worse? Have you have you worried a situation till it was enormous, and then when it came up, it was nothing at all? Wow, knock things down, right? You worried it into something that that made you sick. You worried it into something that was enormous, and you hated everybody. Everybody's out to get me. They're all doing this. Nobody. I mean, I mean, you have you've been hateful and rude, and and in the end, it was nothing, and you're like, oh, gosh. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. That's what Jesus says in verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature? Most of what I read seems to think this is Jesus saying, who can add a moment to your life by worrying? I mean, can you fill all of your worries? Can you add even a second to your life? The answer is no. In Luke's account of this passage, Jesus carries it on with it and says, If you can't change that which is least, why do you worry about that which is most? But if, we, if our worries can't change the least little thing, then what good does it do to worry about the really big things? The answer is, that it doesn't do any good. It can't change or help anything. Something I read this week said, worry won't pay the bills. Worry won't secure a job promotion. Worry won't restore a marriage, control your children, heal a sickness, or make you happy. Of an average person's anxiety, 40% is focused on things that will never happen. You ever stay up late worrying about things and then it never comes to pass? 30% is focused on things in the past that can't be changed. Who's like me that will lay awake at night and think, that thing I said six years ago was so very stupid, right? Can't be changed. Twelve percent is focused on criticism by others, mostly untrue. Doesn't something bad someone says about you or or worse yet, man, this is the worst. I don't actually hear anyone say something bad about me. Scott says someone told him that they heard that someone said in the market they overheard a conversation they said this about me. Oh man, who was it? Why would they say that? I'm such an awesome guy. Right? We We just worry over that. 10% is focused on health, which actually gets worse with the stress. And only 8% is focused on real problems that will be faced. Now, if this statement is true, then most of what we worry about is stuff that, Probably will not happen, and things we cannot change. So, worry is worthless. All it does, all worry does, is produce more worry. Look at what Jesus says in verse 34 Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, there are so many things that could happen this afternoon. Tonight, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. And our worries about them will not change them, will not fix them, will not help them. A constant anxiety over every possible thing that could come up is a sign that we do not truly trust God to handle His business. We cannot be anxious about all the things that might happen. The problems, the challenges, the difficulties of tomorrow will be there regardless of how much we worry today. We will not fix one possible outcome by spending the day fretting. Usually we make the day, make the, the situation worse than it is. I like this quote by Corey Ten Boom. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. How many of you can testify to the truth of that? You spent so much time today worrying about tomorrow that you lost any joy, any happiness, any chance to enjoy the day. And then tomorrow... Gosh, it may not have even happened, so you've wasted a whole day worrying about something that did not happen. Worrying about what might happen is nothing but wasted effort. Faith, faith overcomes worry. Because faith recognizes the worthlessness of worry. Secondly, faith trusts in God and not stuff. Jesus said we cannot serve both God and mammon. We will love one, despise the other, we will trust one, and we will not serve the other. The most basic idea of mammon is money. But more than that, mammon referred to anything people put their trust in. In this sense, mammon is an idol that we trust in and we focus on instead of God. The reason it's often equated with money and stuff is that humans naturally gravitate towards trusting in money and stuff. Our natural inclination is not to trust in God, but it is to trust in the money and the stuff. The reason for this is because we can see money and stuff. I can see the cash on hand. I can see these things that I can hold and feel and touch I know they're there, and I can trust in them. Plus, just a reality, we need money and stuff to survive. So the challenge before us is always to trust in the God we cannot see instead of the money and stuff that we can see. That's a a huge part of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Unbelievers unbelieving man will always trust in the stuff they can see instead of the God they cannot see and this always leads to worry faith overcomes worry because faith always trusts in the God we cannot see instead of the stuff that we can see faith takes hold of the promises of God and acts as though they were true faith Trust that when God says that He can supply all of our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ, faith says God really means what He says. Faith believes God when He says that He has all the resources necessary to provide for the things that we need. Scripture declares that God has unlimited resources at His disposal and His promise to use them to provide for His children. And faith said, good enough. Good enough, I believe it. But still, again, that's easier said than done. So why, why would God provide for me like that? Why can I trust God to keep His promises? First is because that God cares for me. That God cares for me. After talking about the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I, I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith, sitting on a grassy hillside, provided Jesus with illustrations to show God's care for his children. Surely, surely, the children of God are more valuable than sparrows. And surely, if the God of heaven will, will take care of the sparrows, won't he also take care of his children? And consider the lilies. They don't work to make their clothes. They don't fret and worry because God takes care of them. And if God will take care of them which are here today and gone tomorrow, won't He surely take care of us who have eternal souls that are, that are here forever? Jesus wasn't condoning laziness while waiting on God's supply. Instead, He wanted us to place our lives and our trust into God's hands, refusing to worry. Over all of the things that the world tells us to worry about. To worry shows little faith in God's ability to keep His promises. Jesus shows that God cares for things that come and that go. And if God will care for things that come and go, how much more will He take care of us? Now, easily understood from the passage, but the devil and critics and even our own sinful nature and doubt will cry out, how, how can you know for sure? How can we be certain that God will really do all that he has said he would do? Paul answers that question. Said he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I love this verse. This is one of my very, very, very favorite verses. The spare not portion of the verse refers to Jesus' death. And in the garden, when man first sinned, God promised that one day the seed of a woman would come and she would... And the seed would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. This was a picture of who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. As time goes on in the Old Testament, we learn more about the coming Messiah, the things that he would do. One of the things we are told about the coming Messiah is that he would suffer badly and die. Isaiah 53 details the suffering servant of God, the things that he would endure And all of this was a promise. It was a promise of what would happen as a result of his death. His death, many would be justified. Because of him, sins would be forgiven. Things would happen in our lives because of the death of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God. Then Jesus was born. He lived the perfect life and he did all the right things. And yet he was betrayed and he was beaten and he was crucified and he did die. And in that death, God kept his promise To He did not spare his son. Instead, he, he delivered him up for us all. So how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God kept the biggest promise he could ever give and keep. And that was the promise of His Son coming to die on the cross for our sins. And if God will keep that promise which is biggest, doesn't it make sense that He will keep all of these other promises which are least? If I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins... And all of that was so that I could be saved, so that I could know God and have a relationship with Him in this life and in the world to come. If I truly believe that God would do that for me, how can I not believe that God will do everything else He has promised? Because there is nothing, nothing so large as the sacrifice of His Son. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The cross proves to us that God cares for us and will do that which is most. And if God will do that which is most, He will certainly do that which is least. Faith overcomes worry because faith reminds us of exactly how much God cares for us. Not only does God care for me, but God has a relationship with me. In verse 31, Jesus repeats, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. But the, the unbelievers in the world, that's how they live. Unbelievers who don't know God and understand that he cared for them, who have... No faith, who who do not see beyond the here and the now. They naturally focus on the wealth and the stuff that we can accumulate in this life. And so they are anxious. So they are fearful. And so they worry. And that comes from the fact they do not know God. The Bible says they have no hope beyond this life. They are not a part of the kingdom of God. You and I, on the other hand, we do know God. We have experienced His blessings and His goodness in our life. We are filled with His Holy Spirit. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And we have a blessed hope. And because of that, we can trust God. Knowing Knowing who God is and what God is like enables us to trust Him. Knowing that God loves me, that God cares for me, and that God has chosen to have a relationship with me. It enables me to trust Him regardless of what's going on in this world, regardless of what's happening in my life. Our relationship with God and our experiences with God, they cause us to trust God and not in the stuff that we can accumulate and see in this life. He also says that your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. That God knows our needs. Jesus doesn't have some sort of unrealistic expectation. That says we don't need the basic necessities of life. He knows there are things that we genuinely need to survive in this world. And since he knows that we have those needs, and He has promised to provide for those needs, it should free us from worrying about acquiring those needs. We know God, and we know what He's like, and we trust God, and we trust Him over the stuff that we can see. Now, I think there are times where we will understand this, but still be tempted to worry. And in that time, we have to do as the Bible says and cast all of our cares upon the Lord, trusting that he he cares for us. Now, we may have to do this over, over again. but That is something that we are supposed to do when we are tempted to let worries overcome us. We need to take those and give them to the Lord. This is an opportunity for us to draw closer to Jesus, to, to spend that time. Because I mean, what would happen? What would happen in your spiritual life? Instead of worrying and fretting of what could be, you prayed about it. What difference would that make? How much closer would you grow to Jesus? I mean, and what What more could be accomplished by turning it over to God and seeking His help and His guidance and His care than by just laying and going, oh, no, no, no. Faith. Faith reminds me that God cares for me. And He invites me to cast my cares upon Him. Faith reminds me that God has a relationship with me. And I kind of was... Hesitant to word it that way God has a relationship with me because I've always put it that I have a relationship with God but I got to thinking Who initiated the relationship? I have with God was it all my idea that I decide one day I need Jesus and I should go seek out God and have a relationship with him Not according to scripture Scripture always says That we seek him because he first sought us So it's not so much that I work and have a relationship with God, as much as it is that God has worked to have a relationship with me. How awesome is that? And if I can know that God has a relationship with me, and God has worked to bring me to Himself to trust in Him, then I can trust that He will handle all the things that will come up in my life. When we know God, we know that He cares for us and He will provide for us, and faith overcomes worry. Because faith reminds us of our relationship with God. And then finally, faith frees me to make Jesus my primary concern. Faith frees me to make Jesus my primary concern. Jesus says in verse thirty three to but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. First priority. For the disciple of Jesus Christ. For those that believe in Him. And those that say they are going to live for Him. It is to seek Him above all else. Before we focus on on anything else that this world has or that goes on. We are to focus on Jesus and His kingdom ruling in our lives. What it means that we seek Jesus and His kingdom to rule in our lives. Is that we, we want everything we do. Everything we say and everything we are to testify to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Right? The idea that Jesus is Lord is not just that Jesus is Lord out there somewhere. The King of kings, the Lord of Lords. That really starts in here. It starts in our lives that we are to seek above all to make sure that our our lives demonstrate that Jesus is Lord over me. Right? And, and when Jesus is Lord over me, it changes me. Right? Because when Jesus is Lord over me, it includes my attitudes. You know, the Bible talks about certain kinds of attitudes that believers are supposed to have and and attitudes that we're not supposed to have. And when Jesus is Lord, I take that seriously. Right When Jesus is Lord, it affects my priorities. What is most important in my life? What do I seek first in my day? If there's only one thing that can be done right today, what will it be? What are my priorities? When Jesus is Lord, it affects and determines that. When Jesus is Lord, it, it determines my values. What is most important to me? What do I care about more than anything else and what comes after that? When Jesus is Lord, it is seen in my values. When Jesus is Lord, it affects my actions. The things I do day in and day out. You know, Scripture tells us certain things believers are to do and certain things believers are not to do. When Jesus is Lord, those aren't seen as optional. When Jesus is Lord, we do everything we can to make sure our attitudes and our our actions are in line with what Jesus has said. When Jesus is Lord, my reactions are determined by His Word and His will. Do you know that Jesus has said there are certain ways we're to react to stressors? That when there are people that are difficult in our lives, that there are things we are not to do. That when someone does something against us, for instance, we're not to get even. We're to turn the other cheek. We, we probably aren't supposed to talk about how stupid the people in the 15-hour line or less are. Right? When Jesus is Lord, it affects how we react to the stressors around us in our lives. When Jesus is Lord, it's seen in our homes. See, Jesus isn't just Lord out in public where people can see us. Who are we at the house when no one else is around? Who are we when we're away from the town where everybody knows us? When Jesus is Lord, we're the same in public as we are in private. When Jesus is Lord, we're the same in government as we are anywhere else in the world. When Jesus is Lord, it is seen in our homes. When Jesus is Lord, it's seen in our marriages. The Bible tells us a lot about how a husband is to treat a wife, how a wife is to treat a husband. When Jesus is Lord, we, we take that stuff seriously. When Jesus is Lord, it affects our parenting. The Bible says there are certain things parents are supposed to do for their children. And when Jesus is Lord, we take that seriously. When Jesus is Lord, it's seen in our personal morality. Holiness is always the standard. It's not an added option. It is a part of the basic package of being a believer. And when Jesus is Lord, my personal morality reflects that. When Jesus is Lord, it affects how I act on the job. When Jesus is Lord, it affects my business ethics. When Jesus is Lord, it affects my bank balance. When Jesus is Lord, it affects my lifestyle. When Jesus is Lord, it affects my personal habits. Because when Jesus is Lord, it involves every single area of our lives. And we are to bring every single area of our lives into total submission and conformity to Christ, His kingdom and His word. And that is certainly not an easy thing to do, but it is still what we must do. We cannot do this naturally. We can only do this through faith. Without faith in Jesus, we will only live for ourselves. We will do our will and our wants. And understand, when we talk about our will and our wants, we often narrowly apply that to being sinful and doing sinful things. But you know, not everything I want to do is necessarily sinful, but that doesn't make it God's will. It is very possible to live a self-willed life, a self-focused life, a selfish life. And none of that actually lead me to do great sinful things. It's just I don't do anything I don't want to do. The number one priority is my wishes and my will and my wants. And when Jesus is Lord, that's not how I live. And when Jesus is Lord and we believe in Him and we trust in Him, we we live this way and we live this way confidently. We're not afraid of the consequences because Jesus has promised that if we live this way, all these things shall be added unto us. What are all these things? It's all the stuff we've been talking about. It is all of the, the stuff He has said not to be anxious about. Jesus knows that we have need of these things. And if we live for Him and make His will our first priority, He has promised that, that these things, He will provide them for us. He will take care of us and He will give us the things that we need. And there seems to be an unfortunate and an irrational fear among many Christians in our time. And the idea is that if we live this way, if, if we truly bring all of our life into conformity to Jesus, and if we surrender everything to Jesus' Lordship over our lives, that is the death of fun. That instead of, of a life that is worth living, that it will be a joyless, pleasureless life where we are homeless who die starving and naked. And we would never say it in those words That seems to be the attitude that we have. We are afraid that if we truly make Jesus Lord over everything, we will end up not having enough. If Jesus is Lord over my morality, there will be no pleasure left for me. If Jesus is Lord over my bank account, there will be no money left for me. If Jesus is Lord... Over everything. Then I will live a joyless. Penniless. Possessionless. Existence. Which sounds just like the. Abundant life that Jesus said he came to give doesn't it. I think part of the problem. With this is that we tend to look at these things as Americans. And I'm not. A person that's down on America. I don't think that America is the cause of all the problems in the world. But let's be honest. As Americans, we tend to view things differently than most of the world does. What we would consider a basic necessity would be an extravagant bonus in other parts of the world. And we tend to view everything If we're successful, if God is blessing us, if God is providing these things, then that means I am financially prosperous, I am physically comfortable, and I have basically everything my little heart could desire. But Jesus doesn't promise any of that stuff to us. He does not promise to give us all of the money and the comfort. This world has to offer. He promises to give us what he knows we need. And therein lies the rub. What Jesus knows we need. And what we think we need. Are not often the same thing. As parents. How often have your kids needed something. That looking at it. You knew they did not need. Right. Their perspective is limited. They, they need this new thing but we know they don't need it. They want it. We think we need. And Jesus says, no. You want it, and I understand that, but you don't need it. Jesus promising to add these things to us. It's not a guarantee that if we live for Jesus, we will have Lincoln Navigators and Mansions. But we will have the things that He knows that He needs. That He knows that we need. And we can live confidently, not fearfully, not worried. Jesus is my primary concern. Jesus is Lord over all. And if the time comes when I need it, Jesus will make sure that I have it. It's a confident, faith-filled living. We cannot live that way apart from faith in Jesus. From being confident that He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. Faith overcomes worry. Because faith frees us to live for Jesus and make his kingdom our primary concern. It is almost certain that some in here today are worried about something. And if you are, it is entirely possible that you are worried to the point that you feel like you are strangling or being choked by the stress and the worries. If this is you, there is hope and there is freedom. When Jesus said do not worry, he was saying you do not have to be choked and stressed and strangled by the stresses and worries of life. Not your job, not your relationships, not your marriage, not your children. There is freedom from that kind of overwhelming anxiety and worry. But that freedom is only found in Jesus. And that freedom comes first as we confess and turn to Him for salvation. And then it comes as believers as we continually give those things to Him. We take the time to cast our cares upon Him rather than meditate on them. So today we're going to stand as our musicians come.